Well, welcome everybody to episode 11 of Nath's Pod. Uh, it's going to be another good episode, hopefully. And I hope you've had a great first week of 2020. Uh, probably some people you're starting to get uh, back to normal life a bit more now. Um, I know that we are always kind of thinking we ought to start taking some decorations down and stuff. Otherwise it ends up being February before you take them down once you start getting kids back to school and stuff you don't really have the time so I think the plan is for the next few days to take decorations down from the house so that'll be fun try and get them in the loft and stuff and exciting news the JTOM may start listening to the pod she's mentioned it a couple of times when we were away and I recorded the last pod in Cheddar when we were up there and she was asking about it so who knows she may hear this and you may we may get the news that she has actually started to listen, which would be very exciting, wouldn't it? So after last week, I thought I'd carry on talking about Abraham, um, or Abraham, as he is later on, um, because I, his life has kind of impacted me, that this man would just go, like we were, we were saying last week in episode 12, that this, this man would just go and, and start something new, which is completely different to what culture and everyone was doing at the time. Uh, so this week, we're gonna, uh, I'm going to share some thoughts I have about Genesis 15, uh, which is the chapter where God, um, or maybe he was still the voice at this point, um, not to be confused with the BBC TV show, um, this is where God makes a covenant with Abraham, or Abraham. So the background to the covenant is, to God making this covenant with Abraham is this. At the beginning of chapter 15 of Genesis, uh, Abram and God have a conversation. Uh, and God says to Abram, don't worry, uh, I'm going to protect you and your reward will be very great. But Abram says, well, I can't see how you're going to give me a child or anything you've promised me because I'm, I'm ancient and my, my wife's ancient. Um, and at the moment, one of his servants is going to be his heir, which is not what he wants and is kind of not the done thing. He hasn't obviously been able to produce a son or one who's going to uh, follow on after him, uh, carry on the family name, if you will. Um, but God says that uh, the servant is then God says the servant is not going to be your heir, but your own son will, just as he's promised. And then he says, well, if you look at the sky and try and count the stars if you can, because that's going to be the number of offspring you have. They will be as, as numerous as the stars in the sky, it says. And then uh, God promises Abraham that he's going to possess the land that he's currently living in. So, uh, and then in verse 8 uh, of chapter 15, Abraham says, well, how will I know that I'm going to possess this land or that my family and my descendants are going to have this land and then we move on to the part of this chapter that I'd like to talk about in this episode so the first part of this is we're going to look at, at covenant because God uh, between starting in Genesis 15 verse 9 and going through to the end God uh, cuts a covenant with Abraham so verse 9 says this, God said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. 
Now, this seems like a bit of an odd shopping list, but as soon as Abraham hears God say these things, he knows, okay, I know what's about to happen. I'm going to make a covenant with this God. Now, what we need to know is how do you make a covenant and what does that mean? So here we go. This is how to make a covenant. 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 One, you get some animals, and in Abraham's case, it's a heifer, a female goat, a ram, a turtle dove, and a pigeon. Two, you chop them in half. That's right, you chop them in half, uh, which is pretty gross, and I imagine extremely bloody and quite hard work, particularly if it's a a cow and a goat, that's not going to take a small amount of effort. Three, you lay each half opposite the other to form an aisle. So you lay the two halves of of the heifer, the two halves of of the goat and the ram, and you lay them opposite one another so you create this aisle kind of in between, right? And this aisle is very important. Four, you both stand at one end of the aisle and state your part of the covenant. Okay, so whatever... Uh, whatever the agreement is you're making, you state it at one end when you're standing next to each other. So I am going to pay you um, five pounds and the other person will say, and I am going to provide for you this mic stand. Okay, so, I mean, covenants are a bit more serious than that, but that's kind of what, what they would say. They would say what the part that they're going to bring or that they're promising to bring. And five, you would then walk through the animals, between the animals, down the aisle, saying something along the lines of, may I become like these animals if I don't hold up my end of this agreement, this covenant. Okay? So that's that's how you make a covenant. You get the animals, you chop them in half, you lay them on the ground opposite each other, you both stand at one end of the passage between them, and state your part, your half or your part of the agreement or the covenant and then you walk through the animals saying if I don't hold up with this uh, my end of the of the agreement of the covenant then may I become like these animals so it's a very serious thing you're essentially saying if I don't if I don't hold up my half of this then may I be like be killed may you know my blood be shed like these animals have been shed and then we get into verse 10 so Abraham Abraham does some of these steps in verse 10. So verse 10 says this, And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. Okay, so he gets, he gets the animals, chops them in half, and lays them down. Okay, fine, that's no problem. Uh, and then he chases away the birds when they try and come and get the carcasses, the birds of prey. He chases them away, it says. And then God prophesies about um, Israel and Egypt. He causes Abraham to fall into a deep sleep and prophesies about Israel and Egypt and they're going to be in slavery for 400 uh, years. Um, 
and then he's going to save them and rescue them. And that's what happens later on in Exodus. And then we get to the actual covenant-making part of the chapter. So verse 17 and 18 say this, When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your offspring I give this land. Okay? Now, let me read that again. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. And then 18 says, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your offspring I give this land. Now, when you read it, you realize Abraham doesn't actually pass between the animals to make a covenant with God. He is just watching from the sidelines. So this raises a bunch of questions. Well, what does pass through? A smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. And then you get to the next question after that, which is probably, well, why are they passing through? and not Abraham, if Abraham's the one making a covenant with God here. So, I have a couple of thoughts about this, and first we're going to look at the flaming torch. So the flaming torch. Now, fire in the Bible often represents God's presence and his holiness or otherness, um, like what he is one who is in and a part of the world, but not like the world. And fire can also represent kind of love and passion. And God speaks through fire quite a lot. Um, He spoke to Moses at the burning bush and called Moses to save his people from Egypt when we we get to Exodus. Um, It was a pillar of fire that guided the Israelites at night when they were traveling in the wilderness. And actually the, the pillar of fire would rest uh, in the on the, on and in the tabernacle whenever Israel stopped and God's presence the sign of his presence would be resting there on the tabernacle and it would be leading them in the night when they were moving um Gideon uses flaming torches and trumpets to win a battle never kind of raises a sword or anything uh, so there's a whole load of different um uh, pictures of of God being shown through fire uh, so this this flaming torch, I wonder whether this flaming torch could be representing God's might and that he won't fail. It could be his holiness being different to what people have thought, um, what people have thought about God's for thousands of years. And it could represent his love that burns for everything in creation, right? A love that's never going to give up on this world and these and, and us as people. So I wonder whether this represents kind of God's uh, power and holiness and uh, his kind of godness, if you if that's that's probably not the right word, but re- really represents um, his love for us, his holiness, and all of those aspects of God that we that we kind of um, naturally go to when we think of God. Okay, so that's the some thoughts on the flaming torch. So what about the firepot? Well, a fire pot uh, is an earthenware container that carries fire. Okay, very simple. It's just like a clay jar. I imagine it would be made out of something like that. And um, 
they would put fire in it and it would be able to carry the fire from one place to another. And we know that in this encounter, this fire pot is described as one that is smoking. Now, I wonder whether this fire pot is representing Jesus. If the, if the flaming torch is representing Father or Holy Spirit possibly, you remember the tongues of fire that come down at Pentecost, then I wonder whether the fire pot represents Jesus. Okay? So in Genesis 2, we know that God formed Adam from the dirt. Okay? Genesis 2, 7 says, Then the Lord formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And then Paul later on in the New Testament says uh, that we're earthen vessels. We're, we are these jars of clay. Okay, 2 Corinthians 4. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Okay, And we know that God became one of us in Jesus. right? And Jesus, as he came, he emptied himself right? Philippians 2 talks about he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. Okay, so we have Adam made from the dirt, Paul saying we're earthen vessels, and we know that God became one of us in Jesus, and that he emptied himself, being born in the likeness of men. And Isaiah 53 talks about the fact that there's nothing beautiful and majestic about this saviour that Isaiah is prophesying about. Uh, there's nothing to kind of attract him to us. So he just looks like a normal man as he comes into this earth, God. Okay, and it kind of like, I wonder whether this earthen vessel, this fire pot represents Jesus as a, as a human that's carrying the fire of God's presence within him. Right, the, the, the fire in Jesus is, is the same fire that's available to every person because we're all made in the image of God, Right. We will have this within us, this, this goodness, this core, this gold within us this, that God has put there, I believe, that everybody is good, that the core of every person is goodness. So we have the earthen vessel that represents humanness. We have the fire in the fire pot that represents even the Holy Spirit, like within us, maybe the, the Holy Spirit is there. And the fire that Jesus carried with him as he went around healing people and, and completely turning what everybody thought of God upside down. And then also we have the smoke, right? So maybe the smoke could be something that represents the pillar of cloud that led the Israelites in the desert, okay? It was a pillar of cloud in the day and a pillar of fire at night. We've already mentioned the pillar of fire. And it was leading them just as Jesus led his disciples. When he called his disciples, he said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Right? He says that in Matthew, Mark and Luke when, he, when he, he calls his disciples. He says, come and follow me. Just So just as the Israelites followed the pillar of cloud, we are to follow Jesus and, and be more transformed into the image of who God is by living our lives in the way that Jesus did. Okay, he's showing us the way to live, to, to give ourselves fully to the other, right? To, to build people up and push people on, uh, to be ones who give without 
thinking of receiving and and maybe even ultimately being someone who gives their life for another okay so so if the so possibly then if the fire pot represents jesus okay we have the earthen vessel in that jesus was a man god became us we have the fire that he lived uh, from the good presence that was already in him and the smoke represents us following Jesus and being his disciples and living and becoming more transformed into the image of God, which is Jesus. Then we know that, right? We've talked about how he's the perfect image of, of who God is. So in this passage, in this covenant that's made, could, could it be that we have God and Jesus represented as making this covenant? God's presence is represented by the flaming torch and Jesus is represented by the fire pot. And maybe, just maybe, could it be that Jesus is the one that takes Abraham's place in this covenant? Because if God is fully like Jesus, if Jesus is the perfect image of who God is, then that would sound just like God, right? I'd like to think that God makes a covenant with Abraham and says that even if you fail, I'm still going to love you. I'll still shower my blessings upon you um, and that there, there is no punishment for Abraham because God takes Abraham's punishment. Anything that we do to fail, God says, don't worry, I'm going I'm to catch you. I'm going to take that. You don't have to deal with that. I'm going to do that. That's how good he is. Because this covenant that God makes with him, with Abraham, is not about who Abraham, Abraham is or what Abraham does. The covenant, this covenant, is all about who God is. God is fulfilling both sides of this. And this covenant can't fail, right? Because God can't fail. In Genesis 12, God's already revealed that he's on Abraham's side because he says uh, in verse 3 of Genesis 12, I'm going to bless you bless those who you bless and curse those who treat you with contempt all the families of the earth will be blessed through you okay so we already know that he's on his side and but this is all about who he is this is showing who god is and we know who god is by looking at the life of jesus and what he did and he most clearly showed showed us who god is by dying on the cross he he's a being that will do anything to be with us god and he gives his life for us completely. And this is what God's, I believe God is saying to Abraham here. He's, he's, he's showing Abraham who he truly is. And we find out who God truly is right at the beginning of the Bible in chapter 15 of the first book. That he is one who says, I have this and I love you. And even if you fail, I'm still going to love you. God's saying to us, don't worry, don't fear, because if you failed, I've still got it. I'm still here. I'm still on the throne. I'm still loving you. Right? It all starts and ends with him. He's the Alpha and the Omega. And we love because he first loved us. We're always loved. Whatever we've done, we haven't done, 
whatever we've said or haven't said, whatever we've thought or haven't thought, because God is always good and God is always love. And so this covenant he makes with Abraham is saying, I am love, and you don't have to worry, because this is about who I am and who you're becoming. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Nace Pod. Um, keep your ears out for the next one. And always remember this. I love you and I will see you next week. Mm-hmm.